0: Father, we pray that in ourselves as well. Each one of us struggles to, to walk the path that you've laid out for us. Uh, we kind of have this internal wrestling match in each one of us, wanting to kind of pull us away from you, and, and the Spirit's pulling us toward you. And so, Father, we pray that you would, would, that the Spirit would win that battle and keep pulling us toward you. And that's one of the reasons why we come to your word every day in our devotions, but also Every week as we come here and gather as your people, we come to your word because we know we need you to guide us. We know that apart from you, we would be wandering and lost in this world, but we need you and and your word. And so, Father, we pray now that as we come to your word, that you would speak clearly and you would speak powerfully to each one of us through your word and all of the various things that could distract us, our own fears and frustrations and anxieties and maybe even to-do lists of things to do the rest of the day, that, that you would wipe those clear, you'd push them to the back, and that you would speak just directly to us clearly and powerfully this morning. We pray that you would open our ears to hear, our eyes to see, and our hearts to receive what you have to say to us this morning. And all God's people said, amen. Well, we are wrapping up one portion. We've been kind of going on this long series talking about uh, kind of biblical sexuality. And we spent a while talking about God's kind of created designs. We're in the middle. We're actually at the end now of this section where it's kind of talked about how sin has kind of messed up things. And then, uh, and then I'm going to be gone for a couple of weeks. And when we come back, we're going to get into how Christ is redeeming all of these things in us and, and in the world. And so today our passage is Romans 1, verses 18 through 32. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his Eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man, and birds, and animals, and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshipped and served created things, rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relationships for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women who were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, Greed and depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They're gossips, slanderers, God haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They dis- disobey their parents. They're senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do those very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Um, one of the things that I'm, I'm learning as I kind of am getting older and, and get some life experience is uh, I, I'm understanding more and more that we don't always see things as clearly as we think we do. Um, I've often noticed this as I've done premarital counseling or even uh, marital counseling I'll be sitting down with a couple and talking to them, and one spouse will say, well, this is the way things are. The way things are. And then, and then I'll say, well, how are the way things are to the other spouse? And they'll say, well, this is the way things are. And, and they're very different stories, aren't they? Especially when there's tension. Um, and you're thinking, well, which one's right? And the reality is, Probably neither of them, <laughs> right? They're both probably seeing things inaccurately. They think they're seeing the situation super clearly, but in reality, they're not quite seeing it as accurately as they ought to. And uh, it, it, was, it struck me, I don't even remember when this was, but I remember having this incident where someone came up to me and was correcting me for handling a situation they thought I handled it poorly. And, and they came up to me and they said, well, we think you handled that situation a little too aggressively and you sounded really angry, which I was really kind of shocked at that moment because I thought, I thought I was being gentle and calm, firm, but I was being gentle, I thought. And then I had to go back and go, well, was I? Was it, well, am I seeing that situation clearly? Maybe I was being angry and aggressive or maybe they saw it. How do I know, right? And, and so we, we just don't always see things as clearly as we, as we ought. And, uh, and my point is this, it's really helpful for each one of us to realize that often, often we're self-deceived, um, like we just, and, and I don't say that so that we, would, that we would leave here and go point our finger at everyone else and say, you're self-deceived and you're self-deceived and that's not the, uh, to point the finger at ourselves quite often and say, am I actually seeing things clearly? as clearly as I think I should be? Or am I being self-deceived? Or another way that probably makes it sound even stronger as am I being willfully blind? Um, because I think, as much as we don't like to admit it, we're often uh, willfully blind. And that's actually pretty clearly laid out in our passage this this morning. It says, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And the picture that this passage is painting is says you can look out across the world, all of the world, and you can see that there's a lot of ungodliness and there's a lot of unrighteousness out there, right? And it's saying it's not there because they don't know any better. It's not there because of ignorance. It's, there's ungodly and unrighteousness out there because they're actually suppressing the truth. They, they know deep down inside what is true and right, and they're shoving it away, kind of trying to push it under the rug. It's, it's kind of a willful blindness to the reality of how God has just created everything, and 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 it says just clearly what can be known about god is plain to them like to everyone because god has shown it to everyone his invisible attributes namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so they everyone is without excuse and so, God's saying, when, when you walk out of this church, and, and you look at the trees, and you look at the skies, and you see the rain coming down, he says, I created all of that so that everybody would see that, and it would be very clear that I am here. And it would be very clear, in particular, that there's a God who is eternally powerful and has a divine nature. And when, when people see that, it's clear to everyone that that's what happened. And if anybody looks at creation and says, it's not clear to me that God created it. This passage is saying, it's not because they can't see it, it's because they're being willfully blind. They're suppressing the truth. Um, or they're, they're sticking their fingers in their ears and covering their eyes and going, la, 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 I can't see you, I can't hear you. Um, it's willful Blindness, because he said it's clear. It's just, it's obvious. And this is God saying, I created it, it's clear. Everyone who's ever been born in the history of creation can see that. And so that means, it says, so everyone's without excuse. Um, no one has an excuse. They, they can't say, well, God, I didn't know. And he said, yeah, you do. I, I showed it to you through, through creation. You could see it clearly that I'm, that I'm here. Um, you can't say they didn't see He's made it so clear that if you don't see it, you're, covering, you're plugging your ears and you're covering your eyes. And, and so they're without excuse because they're suppressing the truth and they're rebelling against God. And, and when you do that, things don't go well, right? And so it says, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. Instead, they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. I mean, it's powerful because this passage actually even says not only could they see God in creation, but they knew God. Everyone. They know God in some way. And instead of giving him the honor or giving him the thanks that he deserves or giving him the glory that he deserves... They exchange that and then begin to worship idols. They worship men and birds and animals and creeping things. Like that's what has happened over and over and over again. Rather than worshiping the God who created it all and and made everything very clear, they turn and start to worship lesser things that are created by that God. And that's, the Bible just calls that what it is. It says that's foolish, it 's foolish to worship the cre the creature rather than the creator, and then it's that 's why it says what when that happens when you stop worshiping the Creator and you begin to worship the creature, it says they became futile in their thinking, their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise, they became fools and the The saying that I have said before and I keep changing it is um, yeah, I had a friend in high school, crassly, would always say, do stupid things, get stupid prizes, right? And, and this passage is saying, do foolish things, get foolish prizes. Reject the creator, worship the creature, and you will get foolishness. And you will become foolish yourself. That's what's going to happen. And, and yet, the, the, the crazy thing is, is it says they're claiming to be wise, As they're becoming more and more foolish, they're going out and saying, look how wise I am. Look how smart I am. Look how great I am. And it says they're actually, as they're doing that, they are becoming more and more foolish. And their hearts are being darkened. And their thinking is becoming futile. And and I've mentioned this kind of throughout this series multiple times, but, but that's what happens when you worship idols, no matter where you go. Right There's this principle throughout Scripture that you become what you worship. So if you worship God, you will slowly become more and more like him. You worship an idol, you will slowly become more and more like the, the idol. And so when you worship idols that are, they can't speak, they can't talk, they can't think, they can't feel. You slowly worship them and you will slowly lose your ability to think and feel and speak. And you'll become more and more like the idol, and your heart will be darkened. You'll become futile in your thinking, and as as maybe blunt as it sounds, you will become a fool. That's what Scripture says. And in the midst of that, somewhere, kind of along that progression, we read this statement that um, bugs us. It, it should bother us because it says, "Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity." to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. It's hard for us to hear this idea of God giving them up. Um, But it's almost as if God looks at them and says, fine, have it your way. See how that will work out for you. It's kind of like the parent, um, you all come to this point, I mean, it probably depends on the thing, but you you have this moment as a parent where you're talking to your kid and they want to do this thing and you don't want them to do that thing because they're going to get hurt doing that thing and you say, don't do that, stop doing that, and they, I want to do that, and you say, don't do that, stop, I want to do that, and eventually say, fine, go do it, get hurt, maybe you'll learn something, and that's what God's doing, Saying, you, you want to persist in this foolishness. You, you want to persist in, in, it says, this explicitly says that you want to ex- exist in living out a lie. You want to live in a way that rejects cre- the creator and how he's designed everything. You want to try to see how that works out. God eventually says, see how that works. It's not going to work out well for you. And hopefully you'll learn the lesson that foolishness and rejecting God and suppressing the truth never ends well. It never works. It always ends in death and destruction. That's just what it is. That's really the definition of what sin is. And, uh, and notice, for those who've kind of been here for all of these messages, notice where what God kind of, he gives them up to. It says God gave them up in the, in the lusts of their hearts. And then the next it says God gave them up to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. And and if you've been following along in this series, I keep mentioning there's there's kind of these three parts of who God created us to be that are really important to like our sexuality. The one that God created us with desires, right? And those desires are good when they're ordered according to God's design. And yet we see what did God give them over in? The lust of their hearts. He said, fine, your desires are going to you're going to reject me in the things that you desire. I'm going to give you over in those desires. The second thing we've talked about repeatedly, that we were created with bodies and souls, and we're, they were created to honor God with our body and, and with our souls. And what happens when they start, dis, I'm going to keep dishonoring God with my body? He says, I'm going to give you up. And you can go ahead and go and dishonor God with your body. And I've said, the other one, God created us to be in relationship, to be with people, but also marriage relationships, and it's kind of the foundation of that. And, uh, and it says, God says, you reject me long enough, I'm going to give you up, and you're going to dishonor your body among yourselves. And all your relationships are going to be a mess. Because of it. And so, kind of these essential core things and how God has created us to, to kind of live in the world, uh, it says the world has just kind of walked away from him and said, We're going to do it. And eventually he says, Fine, have it your way. Um, try to live out the, the lie that you're trying to live in, it's, it's not going to work out well. And then what happens in this passage as it's kind of laying out this framework and it's looking out across like all of humanity, um, we, we are given this kind of, our passage gives us this example of this happening in the world. And he says, God gave them up to dishonorable passions for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. The men likewise gave up natural relations with women were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men. And receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And, and the point that's being made in this, in this passage is that when you reject the God who created nature, eventually you will eventually just reject nature itself. That he has work. And, and it's saying, and one clear example of this is, is homosexual activity. Because it's... It's very clearly outside of God's created design, right? And that's been the the theme that's been throughout this passage, right? God has made these things very clear to us on how he's designed us to, to live in the world, how creation was, and how we're to live and act. And so, I mean, I think we can say this clearly, that God has clearly designed men and women in such a way that they would desire one another, that they would fit together and that they would be fruitful and multiply that that's just clearly designed that's just part of how he's it's like written on our bodies and and any when you try to get away from that and say that anything other than that is, is natural and the way that God has designed things um, it's saying you're starting to suppress the truth and reject the creator and so we can't do that but I always want to, as, as I start to talk about this, um, there's always important to have some like distinctions in mind. And, and I tried to make these distinctions last week when we were talking about kind of gender struggles and stuff. And, and to be just completely honest, I make these distinctions pretty much anytime I talk about any sin. Um, and it's the distinction between either embracing a sin or struggling with a sin. And that's massive. Um, no matter what sin you're talking about, uh, you treat someone different if they're embracing it or if they're struggling against it. And, and so um, that's the same thing happens when we're talking with people who kind of struggle with homosexual desires is, is are they embracing that and trying to kind of live that out in the world or are they, they struggling against it? And uh, I can tell you, like I have a, a number of very close friends, like super, super close friends who struggle with homosexual desires. Um, they haven't embraced them because they, they know that it's contrary to God's design and it wouldn't be good or healthy for them to embrace them. But they've, they struggle with them. And, and they've, been, they've even tried to go through like multiple conversion therapies, trying to like get their desires to change, and they just they haven't changed. And so they are at the point of realizing, this is probably something I will struggle with my entire life. And so how do you handle that person? Do you keep rebuking them and pounding them? No. You walk alongside them. You support them and say, all right, you, you understand this. You're trying to live in a way that brings glory and honor to God. Let me come alongside and help you. Let me support you. Let me be community. Let me be a brother to you. Let me help you walk along this path. And, and let me be clear, that's not what our passage this morning is talking about people who are struggling against those desires the passage is talking about those who've just fully embraced it and are saying These, this is who I am this is I'm going to live out that lifestyle and I'm going to tell you that this is natural and the passage says it's not natural that's not how God designed uh, the world to work and it's not going to end, end well for you and we have to handle that situation differently. And, and, and one of the ways we have to handle that is we can't approve of that lifestyle. We just, we can't. And, and this passage makes that really clear. Um, and it makes that clear regarding any sin. It says, since the, the world didn't see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. And I always want to clarify, we go through this massive list at the end of this passage, um, and that's saying, that's really the, as as much as we maybe don't like it, that's the description of humanity outside of Christ. Like, it's just a mess. (laughs) Okay? Uh, There's all kinds, I mean, you can say, there are sinners and sin everywhere, right? And that's what's going on. And so, I, I always want to point out that, like, in this passage, it's got this massive list of sins, and it's not saying that, like, Homosexual activity is the worst of all of them. It is saying it's the clearest example of rebellion against God's design and creation. But it's not saying it's like the worst of the worst of the worst. It's saying it's another sin that's right along with all of these other sins. And Christians must never embrace those sins, engage in those sins. And Christians must never approve of those sins. Like, if... We should never be encouraging someone to be insolent, haughty, boastful inventors of evil. <laughs> right? We should never approve of that kind of a lifestyle. We should be against that. And, and the same thing goes for when we talk about those who are struggling with homosexual desires or even those who are kind of embracing it, wanting to live that lifestyle out. We can't, we can't approve of that. And, and this passage actually says, it's written in such a way to say it's almost worse to approve of it than to actually just engage in it. And I think that's really important for us to hear. It's written saying it it was bad enough when when the world was doing all of these different sins, not just even homosexual activity, any of these sins, and people were saying, I'm doing it, and I know I shouldn't be doing it, but I'm going to do it anyways, right? I don't remember. What song was it I just heard the other day? Somebody said, I know it's wrong. I just want to have fun. Right? And so that's, that's kind of this mentality. Like, I know it's wrong. I just want to have fun. But he said it's even worse when people say, this isn't wrong. This is good. And we approve of it. Like, it's even worse to do that. And so when, when we're interacting again with, with people who are, who are kind of embracing that lifestyle, living it out, and saying it's natural, we have to engage in a ministry, I would say, of, of truth and love or be like Christ, be full of grace, um, but also full of truth. And so, again, I'm not saying we, we shun people who've even embraced the lifestyle or, or anything like that, but we walk alongside them too. We support, we encourage, but part of supporting and encourage is what? Actually helping them to live the life that God has called them to live. And that means we have to point them to the truth because we love them. And we understand as Christians that any form of any lifestyle that's lived outside of God's design, you know, whether it's homosexual sin or a couple of weeks ago we talked about pornography and divorce and, and all, any, any of those lifestyles lead to destruction. And so we have to speak truth in love. We have to support. We have to encourage. We have to, the goal is to help them move from embracing these desires to then struggling against those desires and trying to live the life God has called them to live. And then realizing that when you, when you make that transition to now struggling against those desires, that's going to be a really, really, really long, hard road ahead of them. And, and, and for, like, my buddies who are, who are dealing with that, um, they've got a really long, hard struggle ahead of them. They're all younger guys, and they're wrestling with it. And, uh, and we need to be able to support them in that. But we also need to realize there, like, there, are, there are different stories on, on all of this. Right? So I encourage you, you can go home, read some books by Rosaria Butterfield. And, and Rosaria Butterfield was someone who, who had embraced that lifestyle, was, was living it out, became a Christian, was convicted by it, turned from it, and God actually just completely delivered her from those desires. She's married, she has kids. That happens sometimes, but not for everybody. Some people are going to struggle, and, and like my, my couple buddies, they have just realized they will struggle with this for their life, and they will probably, uh, they have basically committed themselves to a life of celibacy for the rest of their life because they know that that's, they can't live out their desires because that's not honoring to God. Um, so this is a difficult, long haul for them. And as a church, we need to come around and say, We're here for you. We're here. We're here to help walk you through that. We're here to help support you in that. We will walk with you every step of the way. And you know, as I was thinking about that this week, this it's really the calling of every Christian, isn't it? Uh, we all have some kind of desire within us that's contrary to God's will, contrary to God's desires, right? I, I guarantee if I poked hard enough, I know, I know my own desire struggle that I struggle with, but if I poked hard enough in each one of your lives, every one of you would know like, yeah, this is the one, this is the desire I struggle with, it keeps coming back no matter how much, like my whole life I will probably struggle with this one. And the calling is for us not to embrace it, not to act on that desire, but to fight against it, to struggle against it. And never allow ourselves to be just defined by that struggle. Um, One of of the really important things I've I've learned from my buddies who have have wrestled with this, Um, they have told me, do not ever call me gay or call me a homosexual. Because it's not who I am. I'm a Christian. That's who I am. I'm a Christian, and I struggle with homosexual desire. But my identity is not in my struggle or whatever. My identity is in Christ. So call me a Christian and a brother. And, uh, and that's, again, I, that's been an important reminder for me as I've taught people, like, as a Christian, that's who we are. Um, and we're, we're not defined by these desires wrestling inside of us or even our struggles or even our past. Um, we, we're never allowed to embrace those. We don't let those become who we are. We're, we're in Christ. When we, when we grab hold of Christ by faith, when we receive his forgiveness and his cleansing, we're also given a new identity. You are a Christian, and you are a prophet, and you are a priest, and you are a king in this world because you are in in Christ. And so, you know, for those who have struggled with addiction over the years, you are not an addict anymore in Christ. You are a Christian, and you will probably struggle with your addiction for the rest of your life, but you're not an addict. That's not who you are. Right? For those I've known who have struggled with anger issues for their whole life, you are not an angry person. You are a Christian. That's who your identity is, and you, will struggle, you may struggle with anger for the rest of your life. Or, or greedy, envious people. That's not who you are. You are a Christian. Uh, you may struggle with those things for the rest of your life, but your identity is in Christ. And it makes all the difference. It may seem like a goofy little thing, but it makes all the difference in the world because you're no longer embracing that. You're embracing Christ. And now you're going to live the rest of your life holding on to Christ, keeping your eyes on him, not on all that other stuff. And yeah, you're going to mess up. Like you may struggle the rest of your life with a certain sin, but you're going to struggle as a Christian who has the Holy Spirit inside of you fighting against that sin with your eyes on Christ. And so you will keep doing that. And you'll have difficulty in this life, and you'll have a hard... Some of us will be given hard callings in life. It's not in my notes, but going to synod this week is a hard calling that I'm not necessarily looking forward to. But I'm going, because God has called me to do that. And others will have harder call, much more difficult callings than that. But we enter into those difficulties as a Christian. We have the Spirit with us, giving us strength, and giving us guidance, and... We do that as a Christian who's surrounded by other Christians who have struggles and burdens and crosses to bear uh, of their own. And we're all doing it together as as a community. We're carrying each other's burdens. We're supporting one another. We're all kind of struggling together. But thank God we all have different struggles so we can kind of make things work. And we just keep following Christ, keep our eyes on Christ, supporting one another, trusting in the Holy Spirit, and following Christ with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Let's come to God in prayer. Father, we are so thankful for your patience and your mercy and your grace in our lives. Father, when we look at our own lives and are honest with ourselves, we we recognize how far we fall short in um, so many things, we, list, we see that list at the end of our passage and we see ourselves in half of the things listed. So we come to you and confess whatever struggles we have right now, whatever sinful desires are are inside of us. Father, we confess those to you. And we're so thankful that we can come and freely confess them to you and rest in your forgiveness. And we pray that you would not only just forgive us and cleanse us, but you would also continue to restore in us. Not just our actions, Lord. We want our actions to bring glory and honor to you. But but even more than that, Father, we want our desires, the very desires of our heart to bring glory and honor to you. And so we pray that your spirit would do that work on each one of our hearts. That you would change our desires from being towards sinful, dishonoring things. That you would turn them back to you so we would desire what is good and pleasing and right and brings glory and honor to you. So, Father, we pray that in each one of our lives. Let us leave here and walk in the power of your spirit, keeping our eyes on you and trusting that your spirit is leading and guiding and changing our hearts. And may we leave here bringing glory and honor to you more fully each day. And all God's people said, amen.